The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. We've had a chance to talk with a lot of artists. It's surprising when we chat with somebody who we've never had a conversation with before. Mm -hmm. And we have like almost, between us, 40 years in the industry. (laughs) Yeah, if not longer. Yeah, so it's amazing when we get to meet New faces and new people, even though we've mm-hmm. heard their music and been inspired by it for, for a couple of years. And it's not like Zach is new to the scene no. because, I mean, he's been, I'm not calling you old, Zach, but um, I mean, he, he's been around for a while. Yeah. I'm dodging you. us. I guess I have been dodging you all. I'm sorry. That's Will okay. you forgive me? Of course, we're Canadians. From uh, Citizens, Zach Bolin, my friend, how are you? Good. How are you all? We're good. This is nice. Good. It is nice. I think we'll ask the skill testing question first, and then we'll kind of go from there. Um, mm-hmm. Who are you and where did you come from? So I'm Zach. Um, I came from the state of Maryland. That's where I was born. Out, and, well, I was born in the city of Baltimore. Or is, mm. if you're from Maryland, you say Baltimore. You make it more of a D. Oh, okay. And I grew up there for 18 years. And then at my, shortly after graduating from high school, I went to Georgia, Savannah, Georgia, to a little art school down there. Thought I would go and do something else with my life. I wanted to be a sculptor. And then I decided I wanted to also uh, be able to make money (laughs) (laughs) and uh, have a family one day or something. So I changed my mind. Mm -hmm. And anyway, along the course of the way, got connected to a church and started serving there and kind of started doing more music stuff from there over the years. Which is ironic because most people don't associate music industry with making money. Especially Christian music. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you know, I, I definitely didn't jump into like being in a, well, I did play in bands, but I didn't <laughs> think of them as in the same way I'm going to make money. Yeah. I just, I enjoyed that, but I, I, <laughs> At the time, I was washing windows, and I was making decent money doing that. I mean, now, see, here's the thing. When you're young, you think all these ideas of, like, what is success and what is the right thing to do that's going to make you acceptable as an adult. And I just, now, as a dad, I would just tell my kids, like, don't listen to that voice in your head because it's all crap. Because I think that really, (laughs) at the end of the day, I mean, you get so many opportunities in life to try things and explore and experience different things. And I just think that there's a lot of ways to do that. I could have kept washing windows and kept sculpting or been in a band and done, I don't know, worked at a gas station for a little bit, whatever it was, but that's just not the way it went. And so I'm grateful for what, for what I learned through it though. Just, just do what all the other Christian artists were doing back in the day. And I was in a band and also working at Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, see, I never, I don't have that honor. I never worked at Starbucks. I've actually never worked at a coffee shop. So really? I you, guess avoided, you avoided positive. coffee shops like you avoided us. Um, eventually <laughs> you make your way to Seattle, but mm-hmm. I want to be, before we get to there, when did you realize that you had this musical talent, this musical ability that you could make a living doing it? I kind of fell into it all really. I mean, I, I started writing music at a really young age and it was extremely interesting to me as I had friends that were writing songs and I was, I just thought I want to do that too. Never. I mean, always having like the dreams of when you're in high school or middle school thinking I'd love to be in a band one day playing on that stage, but kind of 
assuming that wasn't a possibility, which is funny because I feel like some of my, the artists that I've loved so much, they didn't operate that way. They were just like, I'm going to be there one day. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just never expected that I'd have that opportunity. Fast forward to college, I started leading the singing for a college group and then for this um, middle school and high school group at a church. And I didn't ever really anticipate on that becoming a job, but oh. it, it did. I did it as a volunteer, then they paid me part-time. And then I was like, well, I kind of like just doing it as a volunteer. <laughs> and then uh, a year later, I was like, well, maybe I should do the, take the job because they like created a job for me and they offered it to me multiple times. I kept turning it down. And then I took it. And then that basically working in that church led us to a, a church. Eventually, we worked at a church in St. Louis for one year. And in that time... All, every time I worked, I worked at three churches every single time. I always was always kind of looking for a way out, not because I thought working in the church was bad. It just wasn't always a thing for me. Mm. But in St. Louis, a buddy of mine, Cam, reached out and said, Hey, Mars Hill is looking for a worship leader for one of their campuses. And I hadn't really followed Mars Hill. The few Mark Driscoll sermons I'd listened to, I was kind of not very into it. <laughs> and, uh, I remember a, but another friend of mine in St. Louis was reading one of Mark's books and he was like, dude, you got to read this. And I started reading it and I was like, I know this sounds weird for me to say this, but I was like, did he even really, did he really write this book? <laughs> and then all those years later to find yeah. out there was a good bit of ghostwriting happening. Um, but regardless, I wasn't like a Mark Driscoll hater. I just wasn't, um, uh, I, I, I didn't have any sort of, he wasn't like impressing me in the same way that he was impressing yeah. other people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, needless to say, says, Hey, come to Mark. You should come out and check it out. We do. And, uh, just really felt like we were meant to be in Seattle. So we go to Seattle and we're at the church for three and a half, four years. It ends. And then we stay in Seattle and we were there for a total of 10 years. Seattle's beautiful. Yes. Yeah, Seattle's amazing. It's interesting though, because it didn't seem like from the beginning, being in the church culture was the goal. And yet there you Never. were in, in church culture and not just any church culture when that definitely got a lot of attention towards the end. It did. Yeah. What? Surprise. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> so I kind of want to talk more about faith. Um, and just for you and your faith, let's just talk about your journey that it kept bringing you back into the church again. Were you always a Christian in the sense of born and raised in the church on the pew Wednesday morning and Sunday mornings? Or what was that start for you? Oh, um, I grew up in the church. So when I was six, my dad died. He died in a car accident. Oh, wow. I just always had, from as long, as far back as I can remember, like some of my earliest prayers, I remember praying to God after my dad died and just asking for him to bring my dad back, really. But believing there was a God and believing that there was a God, if God, you know, hearing the stories of Jesus being raised from the dead, well, if that could happen, then surely he could bring my dad back. So I just honestly, something about that experience and really that trauma of losing a parent at such a young age, it just forever in ways I, I am still unpacking, but I see better now as, as I'm older, um, just tethered me like faith and suffering and trying to process through all that i just from a young age always had this belief that god was there and with me 
And so, you know, you fast forward along the years, I get into music and start playing guitar and all this. And then I go to Savannah and like, Hey, you should play for this thing. And I, and I'm doing that. And, and in many ways, I, I remember when I was in high school, I was, I grew up, so I grew up a part of this church and, and I, I will say this, I grew up in the church, but I definitely didn't necessarily grow up in a Christian home per se. When, and so church was always really complicated for me because the church I went to was in a small town. There was just 50 people there and somehow they managed to make the biggest deal out of everything. So I left that church as a senior in high school feeling really discouraged and feeling like, am I ever going to find a church where I belong? I go to Savannah and I did. That was kind of the first place I went to where they really valued who I was as a musician and songwriter, aspiring songwriter and artist. So I found a lot of worth in that. And I think that is part of what led me to working in the church at first was affirmation. I, I can't, I, I have to be honest and say that all the intentions weren't necessarily completely pure where it was like, I want to serve the Lord with <laughs> all my might um, in this way. But I definitely learned along the way that there was something I really valued in that role. And I mean, I got to work with so many high schoolers and middle schoolers over the years, and now they're adults and really encouraging to me to see the ways that God, um, just me being able to be a part of their life, the different journeys that that took so many people on. And I'm really grateful for that. But needless to say, I always kind of had this tension of, I, there are parts of working in the church I love, which is being with people. There are parts about it I didn't like. I didn't like spending all my time working on things that weren't music related, like building some stage set or graphic design thing. I don't know the <laughs> things that they make worship leaders do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like, so I was feeling pretty done working in the church after the job in Savannah. Then we go to St. Louis. I'm like, I'll give it one more shot. And then after a little bit of that, I'm like, I really don't want to do this anymore. And then my friend calls me and says, Hey, you should come to Mars Hill. And I'm like, Oh, all right, I'll try it. Whatever. Let's do it. Let's see what happens. And we get there. And honestly, uh, for all the bad that Marcel was, one of the amazing things was it was the first church I went to that really valued the worship leader role. And I went from thinking of it as like, oh, I'm just a musician who plays songs to, oh, I'm somebody that could bring value to the conversation even mm. around scripture and theology and spiritual formation, all that. And so that was really, really encouraging. And then we had this community of musicians. We we're all writing songs together and so many amazing things. And honestly, when I look back on it, it even felt like this. It almost felt like a church within a church. Like it felt like we had our own community that was kind of because there were so many of us, we were protected and shielded from all the junk that was happening at Mars Hill. And so much so to the point that like when Marcel ended, so many of our friendships are still intact and some of us are still making music and doing all that too. For me, like by the time... It was sort of coincidental, and I kind of blame, I guess, Tim Keller for this a little bit. I was reading one of his books, and this is kind of as Marcel, like a year and a half before Marcel ended. I was reading this book, his book, Every Good Endeavor, and he was talking about the church and how, you know, so many lay leaders and people used, you know, they used to kind of see it more as a bivocational thing, and it was less about, okay, you have this skill, let's see what you can do for us. It was more, okay, us as the clergy and the people serving the community, what, how can we support you in your roles and, you know, within the parish? And reading that, I was like, okay, that's that's what I think is my problem. Is like, I love serving in the church, but I just don't love working at it. And where all 40 of my hours a week, 40, 50 hours are consumed by it, I want to give time to other things too. 
And so that really freed me. And then of course the convenience of, uh, you know, everything going on with Marcel, it was like time to go left the church felt like my wife and I were just like, I'm not going to get a job at another church to pay the bills. We're not going to do that anymore. So we were like, what are we going to do? And so the band at this point had been three years old. We weren't necessarily full time and we thought, let's, let's, try it. let's yeah. just do it. And that's what we've been doing ever since for 10 years. You moved to Seattle when? 2011. Okay. So, I mean, cause I was, I was looking, I was thinking of when it comes to Christian music, like you think of there's places in California, Nashville, Seattle's kind of one of those hotbeds too, more so late nineties, early zeros. Did you find that there was a musical influence in you being in Seattle and the type of band that you guys wanted to be? Yeah. I mean, Seattle, what I learned over the years is Amazon has kind of taken over or just tech has kind of taken over Seattle. So the music scene has changed a lot because most artists yeah. can't really afford to live in Seattle anymore. But baked into the DNA of Seattle culture is just this un, I mean, you could just, in some ways you could say it's, <laughs> I mean, there's some courage to it, but some of it's just, I don't know, a lot of pride. And that's that I can do anything on my own. And I've got sort of this, I got to prove to the world that my one thing stands up against all the other things. Mm. And so there's a, there's a lot of autonomy, but there's not a lot of community. And so you, it's almost like competition, if you will. And so I think that that early on with the band, we felt a sense of let's make something, let's try and make something that no one else is doing. And I, I'm not even saying we did that, but that's just kind of what we were trying to do. Um, at least in terms of what was happening in Seattle with music and especially like taking hymns and rearranging them in this way that, that felt like something that was certainly born out of the, the kind of Seattle do it yourself. You don't need a professional to help you figure it out kind of thing, which <laughs> in some ways is great. In other ways, you know, you got a broken foot, it's probably good to go to the doctor and not just wrap duct tape around it. So I actually think that people from Seattle or like Washington culture is not that different from the South. <laughs> they just talk differently. So. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and you've been able to live in both of those areas. So you can speak to that. It seems like um, I can. Yeah. Not a lot of people can say that in the U.S. So I've heard. So that's, yep, that's they can't. They can't. Yeah. I kind of want to talk about the, um, the, the buzzword right now is deconstruction, where, you know, people who are probably a little bit younger than, than us are deconstructing their faith. And even you had mentioned it was hard for you to find a church where you felt like you belonged. And I felt a similar thing as well. And I think we all go through that part where we're wondering, you know, where do I belong? How do I fit? What do I know is true? How were you able to discern truth from you know, fiction, especially when it came to being at Mars Hill, that mm. helped you navigate your faith and not just, as they say, throw the baby out with the bathwater. You always have good questions, Tolly. Sometimes. That is a great that is a I'm great like, what's question. your favorite color? <laughs> <laughs> Do you well, like just, ice cream? <laughs> well, I'm just curious because it feels like that's the thing. It's like I'm gonna deconstruct my yeah. faith, but they don't necessarily reconstruct their faith. And I think it's mm -hmm. healthy to dissect what you believe. I love that question. You know, you said something about like truth versus fiction. And I think what I have come to believe, and it, I know there will be someone that disagrees, 
out there. Uh, but I don't think this is that crazy of a thing. I, I think that we have, were created to be pretty intuitive beings. And I think that there are times I can remember back at Marcel, but I even now, or, or even further back than that, growing up in the church, but then also even now, we have moments where you just, your intuition is telling you something's not right. Mm. And it's not emotion. It's actually like, okay, something, something, do, or maybe a better way of putting it is something doesn't seem, isn't adding up here. And I think that at least for me, where I've gotten tripped up in my, this, I mean, I would say this even for myself, deconstruction kind of moments of my own journey is when I get so convinced that what my intuition is telling me is a hundred percent right. <laughs> and then I don't necessarily do the work of dissecting it and analyzing it and figuring out like, okay, here's this gut feeling. Is it, is there something that's to be said about it? And, and I, and I think those moments for me have oftentimes come through processing through like hard things, suffering kind of moments, people going through hard stuff, me going through hard stuff. And then I, I also think that I have a lot of empathy for people that are wanting to deconstruct in different ways. I, I also think too, though, that I have a theory around deconstruction that may or may not be popular with people that are, would put themselves in that camp. And that's that I think that deconstruction is actually a really biblical thing. Um, I just think that it's when, and I can say this having gone through it, when you start to deconstruct, God is an easy target. It's easy to say all these things about how God can't do this or God said God would do this and doesn't do that, all that stuff. But really what you're deconstructing is yourself because you are, you are having to accept that you believed certain things that you're not sure if you actually believe them or that you trusted people that hurt you. So what does that say about you? And rather than doing the work of saying, man, I, I, I trusted that person and I need to learn from that. We say we kind of put all of our direct, all of our ire towards that person and sort of dissolve ourselves of any responsibility in that. And I just think that deconstruction is a healthy thing when it looks like us surrendering and dying to ourselves <laughs> every day. Um, and it, and understanding that honestly, I mean, when you look at the parables, when you look at Jesus, the ones that he is able to really work with, like actually when you see like these, like, it seems like a silly word to use, but when you see like these productive things happening and like the life of Jesus's ministry, it's often when the people, it's with people that are just willing to just say, I'm completely lost. I'm completely broken. I'm completely dead. I'm least sort of accepting that there is nothing we can do in all of our days to somehow give God a, to somehow have a better report card to, to give to God. And I just think that we have been taught, especially in Western culture, that Christianity is that. And so it makes sense to me that a lot of people are deconstructing because they're starting to experience the breaks and the faults and system that is, is very much driven on uh, our own merit. And we say that we don't, we say, we say it's kind of like, 
I remember in the nineties and early two thousands, it was a big thing to say like, worship isn't just about music. And we say these phrases, but then we sort of do a different thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so for me at the very least, like I've gone through so many waves, but I, now I'm at this place where I just think, man, I mean, all of all, if, if Jesus is making all things new, that's happening through the work of Christ, then there's continual reconstruction happening everywhere, all around us, you know? And we can play semantics with words, but at the end of the day, there's parts of us that need to die that we need to let go of and they need to be reborn. And so you could use a garden analogy. You could use, you know, an ocean analogy. You could use deconstruction, reconstruction, whatever it is. I just think life is just full of, uh, belief and doubt. But in all of that is, I think if we're willing to see in, uh, that mystery is such a massive part of faith, perhaps the mystery isn't, the enemy, it's actually a doorway into something more because I think that a lot of times mystery because of mystery, we create these systems to try and formulate answers that just might not always be enough of an answer and might not, you know, the way we might describe God or talk about God. And so I don't know. I just feel personally like I have a, like even this record that we're putting out, like, I thought so much about people that are deconstructing. I thought so much about people who are, their back is turned to Christian culture. And some of them, they're mad at it. Some of them, they're not even mad at it at all. At it at all. And I just feel like I want there to be a bridge between the people that are really afraid. And so they're criticizing others. And then people that are really afraid. Uh, and so they're running away and also criticizing others. And find a way to get them to turn around and meet, meet again in the middle. Because I think that if we were honest, we all have a lot of similar fears and questions. And I think if we're willing to look back, we might discover a bit more about God's character and kindness and presence in our lives than what, what we, what we sometimes remember. And we need to do a little work to remember. I'm glad that you brought up the new album. I'm so we're we're essentially we're celebrating 10 years of you guys, uh, a debut in 2013 to where we are now in 2023, and I mm. can't find the edges of you. Is there specific themes? Was you being us being stuck in COVID? Does that help when it comes to songwriting? Is it the deconstruction when you go into writing a new album? When you go into writing new songs, do you go into it as this is what it's going to be? Or is it, no, there's actually specific things that I feel like I need to touch on. Hmm. Songwriting has always been a kind of source of therapy for me. It's, it's been in some ways I've thought about it in different ways over the years, but it's almost like it's another person in my life Hmm. (laughs) that, and this is going to sound weird that I'm nurturing that I need to nurture and care for. And it's, it's not a, it's not an alternate persona. It's just, it's just a part of me that if I neglect it, I, there's a lot more unhealthiness in my life. And so that's the interesting part too, of writing for me, I rarely write songs from a place of thinking about what it will mean to someone else. Like I'm oftentimes just writing about writing from a place of this is something that I'm processing through and this songwriting is going to help me do that. Mm. 
And so with this record, I didn't necessarily set out to make a record like this. But what I did find was that a lot of the questions and, uh, I don't know, questions and places that I was landing, it turned out that there were a lot of other police, people in those same places, people that I was writing songs with, people that I was having conversation with. And it certainly went into COVID like this. But I think the one thing that really hit me, you know, I spent all this time in COVID in Seattle, especially, I don't know what it was like in Canada exactly, but like we weren't seeing people a whole lot for a couple months. And I remember Sundays would come around and we had so many great conversations with our kids and just about faith and about God, just about, man, God must be bigger than what we even realize and kind of entertaining some of those thoughts and realizing that there's so much that we miss when we go to church to just sit and listen to someone that we, we miss out on learning from each other. So even down to like a five-year-old, I could say something up to a 95-year-old. And I, for me, as I was thinking about this record, as it started, as this big idea started formulating more, the theme that I kept seeing and conversations I was having, ironically, with people that were a part of the church but weren't necessarily working in the church, people working in the church had a different opinion, was that uh, the priesthood of all believers had been lost and were ready for that, to sort of to, to reclaim that. I started thinking a lot about a table, even the table I'm sitting at right now. Um, in America, you know, and it's globally, everyone's paying attention over the past few years politically. But, you know, I just saw people that were... Because this person doesn't agree with me on, on this one thing, then that means we don't agree on anything and we're done. No. And I just started thinking about how that's so awful. Cause to repair that years later is like to do the work of repairing that is, I don't even know if it can be done. Maybe, maybe it can't. And so, yeah, this idea started to form of like, okay, what if, uh, there was a table that all of us are coming to and we're kind of setting the table with these songs and you've got the, staunch right-wing conspiracy theorists and you've got the staunch left-wing conspiracy theorists and then over here you've got a child that just likes to laugh and be silly and then over here you've got the old person that hates loud noises and then like you've got all these different you got all these different people coming to the table and they all showed up for the feast and they're at the table and everybody's kind of settled by the thought of God is with us and God is doing so much more than we can see. God is speaking in so much, so many more ways than we actually are hearing. Mm-hmm. And God is bigger than so many ways that we, than we know to describe. And that's where, you know, I can't find the edges of you is, you know, a personal statement, but I think it's meant to be one that's communal too, that, we can't find the edges of you and that that's not a bad thing. That's actually a really beautiful thing. And I think the last thing I'll say to that is all you have to do is think about your most important relationship in your life. I've been married for 16 years on Friday and I thank you. And my wife and I, I'm still learning things about her after 16 years. Yeah. So many things. 
And if that's true about someone that God created, how much more about the one about God who <laughs> created all these people that we're yeah. spending our lives trying to get to know if we're, if we're willing to do that, go through that process. And that's a really cool thing. Like when you think of it, like I love getting to know more about my wife after all these years, not just, I haven't figured her all out. And so if that's true for her and she's not God then how much more for, for God. And that's, that's the big idea that I hope people would come to the table and, uh, just have some fun talking about that. We really have lost the art of the uh, skillful disagreement. It's my way or nobody's way. And that has been so clear the past couple of years. And yet when we have differences and we can share those opinions, we learn so much from each other. And it's, uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's a sad thing that we've lost the ability to have healthy discourse. We've lost it. And I hope that we can, I, I believe we can get it back. And I, I know it sounds silly, or maybe not silly, but maybe it just sounds ideal, but I really think music has a way of doing that. And art has a way of bringing people together. Mm-hmm. You know, how many people, you, you go to a show and how many people are there that have so many different things that they believe and are so many different places and they're all in this room together. Yeah. So, hey, you spent two hours bumping shoulders with people you don't really like, so maybe no. you can do that more. There you go. So. <laughs> Citizens concert followed by a uh, roundtable discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to do it. The biggest roundtable ever. Yes. Roll it out. Huge. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, concert and new music. Is there an excitement for you as an artist to get out and to be like, this is what we've been working on here, world. And then you get to play it live and you get to see the reactions of people as you are playing the songs that you are playing. Absolutely. I'm so eager to do that. I mean, part of it too is just recognizing that in a small way we could help facilitate that process of bringing people together. That feels really important to me for getting to play this record. But also too, we've always tried to focus or make our live shows be kind of conversational. And so part of that's these songs that we're singing, but also just, I don't know, you know, you go to someone's house and if you go over to someone's house and the first thing you do is just, I don't know, start talking about the saddest thing in the world. <laughs> it kind of sets the tone for their whole, whole time. Whereas, you know, you joke and you laugh and there's little things, gestures that we do to try and create a comfortable environment for people. Hmm. And that's something that we, I love about playing live is trying to get people at a place where it's not just a thing for people to show up and watch us, but it's also not a thing for us just to blaze through a bunch of songs. Like we'll take our time and we'll, we'll go through it and hopefully leave feeling like we're, you have some new friends. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited about doing more of that. This is the why me project. So we'd be remiss if we didn't ask about a why me moment that you faced at some point, whether it was in a valley or a mountaintop. The one that I will always have that I've had since I was six that I talked about earlier was losing my dad, you know? Um, and you know, it's interesting because it's uh, this conversation has wound up being a really fascinating one for my kids. They will oftentimes bring up about Cause I've told them, you know, well, if, if I were to go back in time and make it to where my dad didn't die, then, you know, you guys probably wouldn't exist and so many other things in life wouldn't have happened. And so now I'm looking at my life and I'm seeing what has come out of death and out of tragedy 
And that, I mean, for me, that increases my faith in God all the more. Um, but I still, but the question still remains like, why me? Like, why did I have to experience that loss at such a young age? Mm-hmm. Because it splintered my relationship with, with certain family members and it created a lot of, a, a lot of significant hardship. It, 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 it's hard, you know, to see kids suffer. And, and that's, that's, that's a tough one now as a dad. And so I, when I think about myself, like little Zach, I'm like, yeah, why did that have to happen to him? You know, why did that have, have to happen to me where I had, where, where losing my dad had to be a part of my story? But at the same time, it's such a significant part of it. And I, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm grateful for my, for my dad dying. I'm certainly not, but I'm, grateful for the perspective that's come through the loss because I know a lot of people that when they lose someone like that, it, it's hard to recover from that. And somehow, and I think it's been the spirit of God that's given me the peace and hmm, belief that, that, uh, that this life isn't the, isn't everything. There's so much more that I want to ask you. But uh, in some ways, I just feel like we leave it at that. Maybe a reason why we we should have you back on, um, and not and you not be a stranger and duck us again for another ten years. Yeah, <laughs> let's not do that. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've got nothing it's... but love for Can- Canada. <laughs> Johnny makes it sound like we've been like trying to pursue an interview all these years. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I'll tell it. Yeah. They've been emailing. You guys have been emailing and texting nonstop. I had the, I had that poster. I was like, Zach. And then with the arrow to me and yeah, I looked and then looked the other way. And I'm like, all right. I know. Um, I'm trying. I'm, I'm learning. You know, God's not done with us. We're all, we're all learning and growing. Um, I can't find the edges of you, which is available. You can go to, uh, at citizens underscore music on the Insta. We are citizens.net. Uh, my friend, I appreciate that uh, you took some time to share your heart today. Yeah, thank you all. Appreciate it. Big shout out to all the folks at Integrity for being able to set up this opportunity with Zach, Matt Redman last month. And yeah. I'm really looking forward to each and every month a new artist for us to dive into their life and music and everything else. Yeah, and I love how today really was about Zach's life, uh, the idea about deconstructing our faith and the importance mm. of asking the questions, not just why me, but all of them. And I do appreciate the fact that not just Zach, but anyone who comes on here is really willing to see this as a safe space so that mm-hmm. we can dive into some of those difficult topics and questions and an opportunity for us to grow, for them to grow, and hopefully for you who listen, who is listening to grow as well. Yeah, safe space here. So if you've got questions or um, there's a guest that you want to hear, I would just, and Johnny too, love to hear from you. You can email us. You can hit us up on the social media sites that we are part of, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, um, and just ask questions. I mean, sometimes we feel like we can't, but we might not have the answer, but um, at least we can ask the questions together in community. I can't find the edges of you which is available now. Get out there and support Zach, support citizens, and – Thank you for supporting us. Don't forget, you can check out faithstrongtoday.com.